You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. You've seen her dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Furfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of Shreddy Balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get too busy, but I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now, because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Oh, we, we got to get it started. Show. Oh, yeah, we do. we got a full show today. And uh, we have Miss Paula Bloom in the house. Yay! Oh. Can we say she's our favorite? Uh, yeah, uh, she is. Is it, were you allowed to say that? Yeah, she okay, is. Okay, she's our favorite. Yay! You guys, so much. She's been too busy. She's so busy. She's in need. She has a new job. She has a new everything. And so she's been, but welcome. Thank we're glad you. you're here. So good to see you guys. It's good to be good seen, to really. It is sometimes. Um, it is. I feel like I have a therapy session each time you're here. Right. I know. Every time we go out to dinner, I'm like, I feel good. <laughs> yeah. I And I feel burdened. I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> I'm exhausted when we go. No, I'm just kidding. With all, with all <laughs> of our stuff. And the funny thing is I love it. Like, you know how sometimes, I'm sure you get this all the time where people say to you, oh, hey, Vic, friends, friends, you know, whatever. Oh, I have a quick question for you. My dog. And it's like, same thing time. with Paula. We're like, oh, good to see you, Paula. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Oh, quick question for you. The other day, like, you know. Okay. I like I like friends who are really smart and have really good skills so that I have get free stuff all the time, yeah, like right, advice. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I could give nothing, but yeah. It always starts in the appetizer and then <laughs> by like coffee after dessert. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, did you have a second question? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's awesome. You guys are my therapist too. It's really There nice. we go. We all help. Well, it's yeah. so good that you're here. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And of course, it's been a really tough week. Well, it's been a really tough a couple of weeks, weeks, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, it has um, been. With Paris, I mean, being European and hearing about what happened in Paris is absolutely devastating. When uh, when people go through trauma like that, not even if you've just lo- lost a loved one, but you know, all of us are experiencing that again. It's like reliving 9/11 again. What are the kind of what kind of advice would you give to people? Right. So I think huh. in case people don't know, Paula is a psychologist. And yeah, she's we're a not just psychologist. Yes. I'm really sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I just want people to know. We're like, well, who is she? What? You might have seen her on CNN and Nancy Grace and everywhere, actually. Yes. So. Okay. You know, it's interesting because usually when I'm thinking about advice, I think about my own reaction first and kind of what that's like. And, you know, it's been this real balance of how do you um, absorb what's been going on without really absorbing it? How do you pay attention? How do you stay informed? And then not necessarily ride that roller coaster of what's going on. To me, what's been one of the toughest things is sort of integrating the information and then talking to my kids about it. How do you do that? How do you do that? And so acknowledging pain, but then also as something that Mr. Rogers, I don't know if you've with Mr. Rogers, if you remember him, he used to say, you know, look for the helpers, look for the helpers and how important that is. And so it's just shocking and it's painful and it's really, really upsetting to see that this is the nature of humans, but it's only one little sliver of them. And so that's one of the things that can be very helpful to me is to really be able to focus on the bigger picture and not make a caricature out of who people are. I'm careful about the media. I know, you know, Holly mm-hmm. doing stuff with CNN, but I, I have to be careful with what I let in, with what I allow myself sure. to consume. Because sometimes when I'm stressed, my filter's down. And then I can't sort of take stuff in in a way that's healthy. And a lot of it has to do with self-care too, but it's really, really painful. 
Well, it can be overwhelming, I think. It's overwhelming. And, you know, we're wired for empathy. We're wired to connect with what's going on with other people. That's why when we watch a movie, we get tearful, something sad. So when things aren't necessarily our own experience, the body, the brain doesn't know that. So it feels like we're, it's happening to us. And that's mm. why we feel things so, so deeply, so deeply. So we can feel compassion, but you can get compassion fatigue. We know we see this in the media a lot of times, right? And I know my profession as a psychologist, we see this a lot this sort of compassion fatigue and um, just, I don't know, it, it, it's just one of those things that if you stay in a lot of why, I mean, you want to solve problems by understanding, but this is, you can't apply logic to something that's so illogical. You know, you know it's interesting you say that years uh, during Columbine, uh, I did a story, a medical story, health story, and they talked about, you know, people were constantly glued to their TVs. Same thing with 9-11 and you just can't pull yourself away. And they were, you know, people were getting almost, you know, overwhelmed and like you said, like fatigued from it. And they asked why and they... One uh, psychiatrist we talked to said, you know, a lot of times you watch it over and over because even though you know as a smart person what's going to happen, you're hoping for a different outcome. Mm -hmm. You're hoping the time you watch it, nobody's going to be killed or something else is going right. to happen and that it's not good for right. you to do that. And it's just surreal. I mean, it really starts feeling and people have to, it's protective to kind of depersonalize from it. People say, oh, people are desensitized, you know, video games, all this kind of stuff. There's this protective thing that happens. And so, yeah, it starts looking like, surely this is fiction. Surely this movie is going to have a different ending, mm -hmm. you know, what you're saying. So I totally see that. That makes a lot of sense. Interesting. What do you think about, you know, the responses of a lot of people? You know, we hear some politicians who are like, that's it. You know, we got to go in there. And, you know, it's kind of like this, um, you know, Rambo. It's a movie. You're expecting the guy with the big gun to go in and save the day and, right. you know, kill all the terrorists. And then all goes right in the world. But this is not a movie. No. This is not that. So one of the one of the things that's very painful for human beings is the feeling of powerlessness. And so we try to find all different kinds of ways, all different kinds of antidotes to that feeling to try to feel powerful. And anger is something that makes you feel really powerful. I think about this Victoria with dogs and that, you know, we're human beings, but we're animals. And this idea of when you feel cornered, what happens, the fight or flight or freeze reaction, right? And so some people want to run, some people get paralyzed and some people want to fight because that's what we're kind of neurochemically supposed to be mm -hmm. doing, right? Is you feel powerless, you feel afraid. What happens? You then try to do something and so a lot of times people try to do something, even if that something isn't necessarily helpful. You know, they say this in sales a lot, that people make decisions emotionally and then try to oh, rationalize yeah. them logically. And so to me, that's a lot of what this is. And how I just started when we started talking about this was that knowing your own stuff, checking your own stuff. What's going on with me? I feel powerless. What's my antidote to powerlessness? Fighting. Yeah, and I also think that with when you have little ones, when you have children and, you know, these kids, you're bringing them up and you want them to be safe in this world. And I think my fear is that you know, my little one, my little girl is going to go out into this world that has become so much more dangerous. It seems mm -hmm. to be that way. It is. So much more dangerous than when I grew up, than when we all grew up. And that's that's a big fear of mine. She's female. She's little. She's, you know, she's completely vulnerable. That's your powerlessness. You feel like that you have is. no control. That, that's what gives me the fear. I tend to, because I fly so much, and, and, oh. and this is reality with me, and I, I don't know whether it's because I've got to a certain age, but I fly so much. And when I'm flying by myself, I figure if anything happens to me, it happens to me. There's nothing that I can do about it. So I really don't fear. I really don't fear. But um, the only thing I do fear about is leaving my child or leaving my husband, just, just leaving them alone if something were to happen to me. But for myself, I don't fear. 
Is that normal, Paula? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing about you that's normal, Victoria. Um, that's the way I love you. Normal, I think, you know, I think as a parent, yes, this idea of people say, what, when you have a child that's like your heart is walking around, you like take your heart and it's mm-hmm. walking around in the world. I don't fear a lot for myself because if something happens to me, it's done. You know what I mean? But I have this ambivalent relationship with what you're just saying because in one hand, I get it. I wouldn't want my kids to be without their mother. On the other hand, I see so much resilience and people go through a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so there's a part of me that, I don't want to say arrogance, but this idea that I somehow determine the destiny of my family. Of course. And because I like to feel that way. Why? It goes back to powerlessness. If I feel like my, my family would be devastated forever if I'm gone, then the implication is, oh, I can control so many things. And so on one hand, as I think about parenting, I think about equipping my kids. Like I'm not raising children, I'm raising adults and equipping my kids. And of course, it would be painful and I would never want to leave this life intentionally. But because I've worked so much with people who've taken their pain and transformed it into power, I'm not as scared about what would happen to those around me because I think the nature, the the tendency is towards resilience. And I love that word, resilient. Resilience really is one of my favorite words. It's it's something I use when I feel down or when I feel things aren't going the way that I planned or I do feel powerless. I do use that word, resilience. I also have another great phrase, and it's a phrase that I got from Winston Churchill that I use a lot. And, you know, when you run your own business. I love Winston. Oh, really? He looks so good for that age. He's such a a hero of mine, and Mm. he has this phrase that he used with his wife all the time. It was KBO, keep buggering on. And he used that during war time and that's a phrase i use a lot resilience and kbo i use words but they can't be repeated on the podcast (laughs) so so go ahead go ahead i was gonna ask you so there um you know you're talking about explaining it to children and talking to children there is a and i want to get your take on i mean everybody's different everybody parents differently and it's hard to tell people you know it's from what you come from but there's a video i don't know if you've seen it of a man and i think his child's probably three or four and they're down at one of the memorials in paris and he's explaining to his son what was happening and he said bad people come have you seen this video I have. bad people came in and whatever he's like well what do we do and he said we light candles and we lay flowers he said but that will will that kill the terrorists and you know or will that kill the bad people and he said you know yes basically telling him you know how do we fight this you know what do we do i feel sad and he says we light candles whatever and it started a conversation i know on social media and among people that I work with and and some of my friends, you know, is that smart? You know, at what point? I mean, he's three, four years old. You don't want him to grow up fearful of the world. He's very impressionable and you don't want him to grow up thinking violence is the new norm in a lot of ways because don't you have to break that cycle? But are you doing him a disservice by not telling him what's real and saying, well, candles and flowers will fix this? And then they think, oh, well, you know, nothing's wrong. And then they're more vulnerable. I mean, is there a, I know there's no right or wrong answer, but what is your opinion on that? So, I don't know that having a lot of awareness about danger protects you. Hmm. I think it can make you scared. And so I think it's important to have developmentally appropriate conversations with your kids. But to me, the thing we have much more power over is the response and the love piece. You know, there's people who have a way above my pay grade and intelligence level, hopefully, who are making these decisions, who are doing this, you know, intelligence work and all of that. Um, what part can I do? What The part that I can do is bring some love and compassion. You know, people are scared. People think that being optimistic makes you Pollyanna. And what I often say to people is, why is being pessimistic more realistic? If I'm going to choose one thing, I'm going to choose the more positive thing. But here's the thing. When we're talking about the fear piece, we can be afraid, but it doesn't necessarily have to affect our daily life because does it really help? 
does it really help? Mm-hmm. We can be scared of getting the flu. What do we do? We wash our hands. We may get a flu shot. But will that completely protect us? Not really. But we do the part that we can do. And so with my kids, it's more like, you know, okay, when you have a hypothesis for how you see the world, you look for data to support it. If you think the world is a terrible place, what's going to happen? We may have talked about this before. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? You are going to not only find data to support your hypothesis, you're going to ignore the stuff that says that the world is a good place. You're going to ignore it. I'm going to see it. And so what happens? So this is the kind of thing to really think about, which is, and this is what I do individually in my practice with people, is what are the beliefs that you're holding? What are your hypotheses for how you see the world? Because that will dictate what you actually see. You don't it's kind of like all. when we talk about our um, the media here in the United States being very, or you know, around the world being very different. Some are very, you know, some left, right, you know, why, how could they oh say that? Gosh. But you're right. It's the same thing. It's like you want Even our Google searches, I was doing this uh, TEDx talk, and one of the people who was doing a TEDx talk at the same time was this political science researcher. And what was really amazing is, you know, and I'm sure you guys have heard this, we don't even, when we Google something, we don't even see all the results. We start seeing things that are aligned with what are the kinds of searches and what are the beliefs we have. So we're not even getting the, the full other picture. Side, yeah, or, yeah. It's really interesting. Who are the people we surround ourselves with? How many times do you like unf- unfriend somebody or unfollow somebody who is just a major, mm-hmm. like completely maybe disagrees with your stuff and it's a major irritant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no comment. But. Interesting. I know some people in your life, <laughs> hypothetically, that have some strong opinions. Yes. Somebody I don't know you might live with. Yeah. <laughs> don't, 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 don't we all? If only, if only I could just check a box and unfriend him (laughs) sometimes. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, it's true. And I think, you know, a lot of people, we've had this conversation too as of late with social media, you know, everyone's saying, oh, this is a great way, you know, for me, sometimes, you know, it's a great way to clean out your friend box. And, you know, I don't necessarily, I, for me personally, don't not want to be friends with somebody who doesn't agree with me. I will not want to be friends with somebody who will express an opinion that will denigrate me, that spits vitriol or hate because I don't see the world the way they do. Somebody who's intolerant, somebody who doesn't, you know, respect the fact that we all are different. Those are the people that I'll sniff out and say, yep, there's no place for you in my life. But just because you see something and say that's green and I go, no, that's blue. All right, fine. You see it as green. I see it as blue, but we're still going to eat it. It's a delicious cake. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't frosting. I was was going to say if it's green or blue, I'm not sure. That sounds kind of gross. (laughs) Actually, see, that's why we have Paula here. Yeah, she kind of puts everything into perspective. Don't you feel better too? All of a sudden, I'm feeling a little better. I do. I do feel better. And you know, for for dog people out there, of course, so many people died. Absolutely tragic. And then, of course, we've had the story of Diesel, who's a seven-year-old Malinois, Mm. who um, was the dog that was sent into the apartment after uh, the apartment that the man who was suspected of orchestrating Mm -hmm. the atrocities. I can't really pronounce it. Abdelhamid Abaoud. That was good. That was it. Okay, thank you. And uh, he was actually sent into the apartment uh, after the shooting had stopped, but there were still people in there. Mm -hmm. So he he lost his life. And um, interestingly enough, this Russia has now sent a puppy Mm, named Doprinia to show its solidarity with the French people and police in their fight against terrorism. That's actually quite good. Do you think that was Putin's idea? or? <laughs> no idea. You know what? It wouldn't surprise me. I think sometimes he likes animals more than people. But yeah, um, well. no, I mean, but just, you know, I love that because it's just, it's symbolic, you know, it's just like this dog's not going to replace that dog. And, you know, and for you, and I'm going to pull a Paula, you know, when you say, I know there's a lot of sorry about talking about, you know, you know what I mean? I think animals, I think we don't have to apologize for feeling badly about an animal losing its life or loving an animal so much. But I think it's a great, 
right gesture on, you know, Russia, the big bad Russia, and they don't, you know, like it shows a soft, sensitive side. I think that's kind of cool, and I like it. It also shows, right, like what you're saying about not feeling guilty for the compassion and the connection that we have with dogs, but the fact that there's this international incident and that is what's getting some news too. The yeah. fact is, I mean, I know this is your life's work, you know, yeah. Victoria with it dogs, is. but that's really, really powerful. It is, and I because I work with Canine right now, and because we're filming with them, and because I see a situation where the dogs are going into houses in situations where we don't know whether somebody's got a gun, and and uh, very, very tense, stressful situations. In fact, what these dogs, what the dogs with the unit that I'm working with, they'll only really go in with their handler. The ha- it's a ha- it's a dog handler team. So the dog doesn't go anywhere that the handler doesn't go. And um, But there will be cases where the dog might go ahead of the handler and go into a room first. And that is obviously one of the things that have happened here. And, of course, the dog was shot dead. Then that brings up the question, which I think might be a later podcast, should we be using dogs? Should we be I using dogs too? Well, then maybe we can discuss it right now. I don't know how much time we have. But should dogs, should dogs be used in these kind of situations? Okay. Should they be put in harm's way? What do you think? I was the, When you were talking about going in with the handler... The first thing I thought about, which is this kind of really important concept we talk about, which is consent. Mm-hmm. Can an animal give consent? I mean, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Well, I, I, I just, I In I my know. experience, they're so highly trained and they're so excited by it. And, and mm-hmm. this, is their, this is their life's work. To sit on a couch at home would just be intolerable for them. They have to be out working. When that harness goes on, it's the best thing ever. When those blue lights or those those sirens go on, these dogs are just, they are ready. They are pumped and they're ready Mm -hmm. to work. So I think for them, it's a huge adrenaline rush. I think their bodies are flooded with endorphins. I think there is a little stress there, but I think the positives far outweigh the negatives. These dogs are bred to work and work they must. Mm. And to keep them from doing that wouldn't be beneficial. You know, it's funny you said I've always had that, you know, I, as Paula knows, have an overactive, empathetic gene, I think. There are some things that I just take things in. That's what makes you amazing, but it also creates a lot of pain for you. It does. There's times when I've called Paula and I said, oh, my God, I saw this. It it had really an animal. I can't. I just can't let it go. You know, and she gave me, you know, some tools to deal with it. And I know now, like, I can't. When we were talking about that documentary a few podcasts ago, Dogs and Men, about police that shoot dogs and, you know, whether accidentally, on purpose, whatever. I can't watch that. And I and I was very clear saying I can't I can't see any of that because I take it with me and I can't let it go. And I remember a while back of always feeling, you know, you see somebody, you know, a guide dog or somebody, you know, one of these canine assistants. And I think, you know, it's not fair. This dog should be sitting on a couch or whatever, whatever. Yeah. They and then I came to realize my rational brain said, you know what? My dog's sitting at home would love to get out and about. This dog's going to restaurants. This dog's going on the train. This dog's flying. This dog is interacting with people and so much that. It's actually a great life. And how many dogs are in shelters or, you know, euthanized early or live on the streets, basically? These dogs, these military dogs are well taken care of. They're fed. They're loved. They're trained. They're interacted with. They have a really good life. And they do something that is meaningful. They don't know how meaningful it is, but they do something that, you know, wow, I I got a job. Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to ask. You know, one of the things that kind of talk about that separates us from other, all other kinds of animals, this idea of creating meaning. 
like that ability to create meaning out of things. What are your thoughts? I know it sounds maybe because you were just saying about they may not understand the meaning. But what are your thoughts like on a deeper level? Because I know that the profundity, profundity of that relationship. What are your thoughts? Well, about that? I, I think dogs are very, they live in the present. And I, and I think that they don't have the cognitive capacity to be able to, for complex thought like that or to strategize mm-hmm. or, I mean, they, they can strategize to a certain point, but they don't have that, that ability for complex thought. And I think life doesn't have to have meaning for them. Life is all about safety and survival. I feel pleasure now. I feel pain now. If something makes me feel good, I'm going towards it. If something makes me feel bad, I'm going to go away from it. That's it. What about the meaning you of know? the relationship? But the relationship, I think, is... Between dogs. You know, again, and- we've been doing... Because I've been filming for the last, gosh, three, four months in England on a show that explores a lot of this. I can't tell you exactly what yeah. happens in <laughs> yeah. the show because that's a surprise. As we, it have were, but it we have to watch it to see. But we have, you know, I've been working with one of the, the best canine cognitive scientists in the world, Adam McClosey, from the Family Dog Project in Etfos. I think it's Utvus Lorand University in Budapest, Hungary. And we've been talking about empathy. Do dogs feel empathy? Do they feel, are they sympathetic? Are they capable of love? Or is it is it us anthropomorphizing? You know, mm. when, when a dog comes and sits next to you on the couch and leans up against you and falls asleep against you, is it love? Or is it just that feeling of comfort and safety you provide? So these and are, are they the different? And are they, yes, right, are they different? You're right. Are they all one of the same thing? So we've been exploring this. And I think the results that we found have been quite amazing. But you're going to have to see the show. I can't wait to see it. In England, you'll be able to see the show first. We hope it comes over here. I think you would agree. Dogs have instincts. Think about all the stories you hear about somebody, you know, a child gets lost and the dog lays on the child and keeps them warm until they can be found. That dog, it's an instinct. I know that's that, that animal instinct, but... I don't know. I mean, I think that they have some sense of what's going on, whether they sense fear, danger, but, you know. They have to have some sense of what's going on. But they have to have a sense of, so if you're fearful, like a lot of times, I know that when I'm sad, my dog will react to me differently than when I'm just sitting on the couch watching TV. And I can see it and I can feel it and I can see what she does or what, you know. And in order to do that, though, they have to sense emotion. They can't, because I'm sitting on the couch in the same place you know, looking exactly the same, you know, maybe my clothes are different. They see that, but they sense something else is going on. They absolutely do. And how they do it is the reason why you have to watch the show. Okay, good. Is it like hormones? Is it like whatever? Does it's my a dog whole understand? load of things. It's Sometimes I think that they things. like, I swear to God, I think one day, like 200 years from now, they're going to laugh at us and dogs are going to be like, Pfft. They don't know that yeah, we totally yeah. understand everything she yeah, said. Exactly. She said she was, you know, she said, yeah. oh, I'm going to tell her she can have a treat, so I'll come in, and I that's, know that she's... <laughs> that's what I always say. I mean, dogs are just dogs. They've always been dogs. They always will be dogs. It's just taking humans a hell of a long time to understand them, so... Mm-hmm. But we could go on forever with this, but what are we going on to next, Holly? Well, I wanted to tell you, I have, just, I have to tell you about last week, because um, we haven't had a chance to talk, and I had the coolest experience... I got to interview Dr. Ruth. <gasps> Dr. Ruth! <laughs> um, and you want to talk about, like, amazing. You know, yes, yeah, she's a sex therapist, you know, but she's also a therapist. I mean, you know, she deals yeah, with yeah. everything. I got to interview her for, um, it was the Marcus Jewish Community Center's book festival, and she came in town. She's written another autobiography. She has something like 36 books. Oh, my god. This is the second autobiography. But it's more about her growing up as opposed to her becoming Dr. Ruth on, you know, where she picked up when she started in the 70s and 80s. This is going back. She's 4'7", although she did say she lost a quarter of an inch, three quarters of an inch. And she is a little powerhouse. She's 87. 
Wow. She looks exactly the same as she always has. She does. I mean, she's just amazing. She is sweet, kind, and freaking funny. I think she doesn't mean to be sometimes. And it's just that accent. You know, she's telling a story about how, you know, everybody knows her. And if you, she doesn't even have to say her last name, Westheimer. She just has to say Dr. Ruth. And she tells a story about how she was walking down in New York City one day and there was a homeless man who was blind on the side of the street. So he goes ahead and she puts some money in there and he says, thank you. And she says, you're welcome. And he says, oh my gosh, by the way, Dr. Ruth, I love you. Like a homeless blind man knows her from her voice, you know, obviously. And like that to me tells me you've arrived. Like you are, you know, amazing. But she is really remarkable. If you don't know about her, at the age of 10, she lived in Germany. At the age of 10, her father was taken at the beginning of the Holocaust. The father was taken away and killed. Uh, he went to a work camp and then never survived. And so she was an only child, didn't have a lot of family. So she was put on a kinder transport and sent to Switzerland. And her whole family was killed and destroyed in the Holocaust. You know, she was left by herself. And she's amazingly empathetic. When you talk about empathy, she tells the story about how the only thing she could take with her really besides a tiny little bag with some clothes, she could take one personal item. So she took a doll. She loved dolls. She had like 13 dolls her dad gave her and she was an only child. So she was very close to her dad. She brought this doll with her. She's 10 years old. She gets on the train and she's trying to be strong for her mom and grandma who are waving because she inherently knows it's not a good thing. She sits down and across the seat from her is a five-year-old child by herself crying. And, you know, she looks at her and she wants to cry, but she's, you know, holding it back in this five-year-old and she feels so bad. She gives her the only possession in the world that means anything. She gives her the doll. And, you know, that tells me a lot about a person. But when you talk about empathy at 10, she gives the five-year-old the doll. It's amazing. And she talks about going to Switzerland and living in a, in a children's home at that point. And then at the age of 15, when the war's over, they said, okay, you know, whatever lights up, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So she could either go to Germany or Israel. She chose Israel, which wasn't really technically Israel yet. They were working on statehood. So she's 15. She gets over there and she says, uh, well, what do I do? She has no education, you know. And so they said, well, you can be a teacher. And she's self-educated and she eventually did go to the Sorbonne. She's that smart. She put herself through everything. So they were constantly being bombed because none of, nobody in the Arab world wanted the Jews to you know, be in Israel. So she thought, well, how can I help? And so she says, somebody said to her, why don't you join what was the Haganah, which is the probably the equivalent of the IDF right now, the Israeli Defense Forces. So it was like this underground at the time army. So she goes, what can I do? I don't know what to do. And they said, well, why don't you, you know, can you shoot a gun? She's like, I've never shot a gun. So the guy gives her this rifle. It's like half her size, right? Like, and she's like, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, lay down. And she's like, and he said, she said, see, he said, see that target? She's like, there's no way. I'm four foot seven. There's gonna, I, I. so he said, all right, close your eyes. And he said, picture Hitler's face. He said, no, open your eyes. You see that red dot in the middle? Hitler's face is directly behind it. And she said, bam, 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 bam. Five shots all in the red dot in the center. And they said, great, you're a sniper in the army. And she found wow. out that she, she became a sniper in the army. She could take apart a gun and put it back together blindfolded. I mean, she's amazing. She was blown up in a bombing attack while there, almost lost her legs. And instead of saying, oh, woe is me, she said, oh, it was great. I was with uh, the whole unit that I was with in the basement of all the, we're all men. And so she had this great, you know, she was like, I was popular. And I mean, just amazing stories right. about how she came here. She's had three husbands and. That's exactly what we're talking about at the front, right? Mm -hmm. People who've gone through incredible pain and somehow been able to transform it into power. I mean, she had such an effect 
on our world. I asked her about that because the title of her book is called The Doctor is in My Life, Love, and Joie de Vivre. And that's what she says. She's like, you can dwell on the negative, but what does that do for you? And she said, I'd like to be positive. And that, you know, I asked her, is there one piece of advice before you leave that you would give everybody? And she said, Joie de Vivre, you know, take life by the horns. You know, what's the use of, you know, pining over something that, you know, or, you know, just take it with you, go forward. And, you know, it was truly amazing. And then she gave some really good advice. So she said before she left, she goes, okay. She said, before I go, I want all of you to do one thing. And, you know, okay, okay, doctor. There's 900 people, by the way, in the auditorium. And she says, I want all of you to go home tonight and try a new position. (laughs) And everybody just started laughing. She said, but if you're over 50, do not use the chandelier. (laughs) And I said, why not? She goes, oh, we are not so flexible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she was hysterical. I mean, this, and she just says it without like, you know, and she was so sweet to me and we bonded and she made sure I got her cell phone number, the whole thing. And so when we were leaving, she said, oh, thank you so much. It was so good. She was telling me, we need to do a show together, this and that. And she goes, okay, before you I have one question and I thought she was going to ask me like can you take me to the airport or who's your agent or whatever and she goes my one question for you is are you having good sex and I looked at her and I was like how do you answer that so my first you know me and my gut reaction I go with my husband or (laughs) (laughs) and she goes see you're funny too you will have joie de vie forever and she left Wow. But anyway, she was amazing. And I I highly recommend the book. It's so great. And it's such a fast read. And it was very cool. And uh, it was just, I just love her. I love her. I have a new idol. I mean, she's amazing. Okay, so we'll get this. So I've had this idea of, you know, turning and I know we're not talking too much about dogs today, guys. But uh, I think this is I hope you're enjoying this podcast. Um, Every once in a while, you got to take a left turn. Yeah, yeah, we're taking a left left turn. And I would like to explore you know, more about what it's, and this is not to do with dogs at all or animals at all. I would like to do some, maybe potentially a separate podcast where we talk more about being our ages and being women in our world now and maybe sexuality. And how about that? What What do I you think? Yes. Do you think, because as a woman, I need, you know, I spend a lot of my time working. I'm working, working, working all the time. And I miss I miss that closeness and that relationship that I have with other females. Being able to just to talk to people. I really don't have too many people I can just talk to. And so this might be a way that we can just talk. What do you think? I Someone's love it. I a midlife crisis. No, no I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, so, but what does that mean, midlife crisis? No, well, we yeah, need to what talk is about it? But, well, no, it's but, certainly, I am certainly evaluating a lot of things in my life. Carry on. So I was going to say... From my perspective, you know, I, you know, I wrote that book about dating that was yes. geared at young women yes. a few years ago. Why and does he do that? Why did she do that? I thank that you. Book. And one of the, to me, one of the important things is to have, and this is, I know, very heterosexist to say this, right? So I'm kind of talking specifically about kind of heterosexual women and relationships with men. But the idea of one of the uh, ways to have a really, I think one of the best things you can do for your relationship with a man is to have really good women friends because nobody can give you, I know we're talking about sexual, but nobody can give you everything Mm -hmm. um, that you need. And it's a lot of pressure to put on one person to Mm -hmm. think that they have to, all those needs. And so for me, those emotional connections, I've been in the same book club for 15 years. Um, And we sometimes read the book. I don't even know what we read this month, but it doesn't matter. Um, But I can tell you what wine we had. (laughs) Um, But this idea like that is, that is sort of that soul connection. I mean, think about for thousands of years, women have done this, right? And quilting bees and all kinds of things are just things for my women friends. I mean, 
from so we're gonna health. do it we're absolutely gonna do it. i would love it we're gonna do podcasts an we're excuse to hang with you guys though. like i miss you guys so much it's this also be great. good because sometimes you know like things come up and i'll think something or i'll you know whatever and and i'm like oh I'm, is, am i weird is this quirky is this like a holly thing or is this everybody else and sometimes when i hear someone else talking about it i'm like Answers, yeah oh, i'll so tell them i oh my god i'm glad you said that because i had that you know mm-hmm. sometimes it's mm-hmm. nice to just know you're not weird mm-hmm. well you are or know that weird. you are that and you're still loved you know that whole idea when we maybe should end here but that whole idea of that with the blind man recognizing dr ruth's voice mm-hmm. the amount of times holly that i go to the airport oh my I'm gosh walking, I'm walking <laughs> I to my gate like, oh, and i hear this sound that gives me i'm not kidding yeah. gives me such comfort right i might be on a on a transatlantic flight i'm going away from my family i'm feeling a little downhearted because i hate being away from them and then i hear this gorgeous <laughs> voice i'm like that's holly oh, yep. on cnn and i'm telling you how do you best use your frequent flyer miles? <laughs> or something and you're te- oh you're you're in port or you're portugal you're telling us about a trip you're doing uh, and i just it, i where do you that that makes me feel so much calmer and better. Anytime you, well, if you're overseas, just call me. I'll talk to you on the phone. Thank I'll just you. leave you a message. Maybe I need to do is leave you a message before you go and you just play it. Like I play Dr. Ruth on my, on my voicemail. I love it. Yeah. This has great. been so much fun. And even though we didn't specifically talk about dogs, why are you pointing? Our producer's pointing at Paula. Oh, you have something you want to say? Uh, no, no, no. What? She's pregnant. No, God forbid. Poo-poo <laughs> <laughs> as the Jews go. Oh, yeah. Did you want to talk <laughs> about Poo-poo-poo. Australia? Well, I mean, we're having this really deep conversation about life and meaning. No, it's okay. Let's end on a good note. Okay. Because I, get um, a little I don't bit... know if it's good, actually. Oh. So this is a really, you know, we, I'm always asking for Maybe dog advice. Maybe this is a preview of our, oh, it's a dog thing. I'll say, is this a preview of our show? <laughs> no, no, not so much. I hope it's not a preview. So okay. we had some friends that came and stayed with us, and one of them is Australian. And this was really traumatic for me. No. So one of them is Australian and we were sitting at the dining room table and he had some lovely tea and uh, it was really great. And he's working on his computer and I look over and this was horrifying. And maybe you can help me with this, with the trauma of it. And he had traveled with his laptop and his phone and his iPad and his own tube of Vegemite. And, um, yeah, Holly. That stuff is gross. Okay, so no, no, it gets better. So he had his own tube of Vegemite. I thought of you, of course, both of Because Victoria and I have a friend who really likes Vegemite, Patrick. You know, I know, it's that. disgusting. So the problem is, you know, like, I don't have great um, frontal lobe control, right? <laughs> and my first reaction, and he's like one of my best friend's husband, so I don't know him that well. But what came out of my mouth was Vegemite. That smells like butt. I mean, <laughs> so... so Victoria, I can't get the image or the smell out of my head. So as somebody who, you guys are from the same queen, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, same queen. Could you help me understand, <laughs> one, why, and two, what's the difference between Vegemite and Marmite? Well, you know, I... <laughs> I, <laughs> I it was so I, serious. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I just, I've had this image. I'm okay. so sorry, but I, no, no, I need no. some help and, with and this. And I understand why you're traumatized by it, because <laughs> Vegemite and Marmite traumatize me. They're, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like a black... Pasty. Pa- you know, even pasty. Yes. It's more sort of... It's got like pieces moist and chunky and... and oh, gosh. N- no, it's it's quite it's quite okay. viscous and it's <laughs> very malty and it's apparently got a lot of iron. So my mom, for example, oh. who needs a lot of iron will eat Marmite every day. Yikes. You can put it on toast or something. Anyway, it's it's like putting it black tar on your, your toast and it actually makes me gag. So yeah. the, but, okay. but it's really... 
it's really apparently good for you and it's also really popular in Australia. Yes. And it cannot be got really anywhere Remember else. That, well, that's that, reason why down he under bought. make a Vegemite sandwich. That's, yes. that's why he bought it because he can't get it elsewhere. He cannot travel okay. without his Vegemite. You know, There's I travel. There's a reason you can't get it elsewhere. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. I just thought but that you know I would, though? I almost called it, you Victoria because it was I'm really, really, really upsetting. That. It's, it, it, it's interesting though and for a lot of people and especially Paula and I who are Jewish, right? And we say, ooh, Vegemite, whatever, right? If you haven't had anybody try gefilte fish. If you don't know gefilte fish, it is the most vile thing in the world. I love it. Oh, but it's carp. It. And now they do it with carp and whitefish. It's stinky. It's nasty. They put it in this jelly, if, if you get the jelly broth oh, instead of the water goodness. broth. And it's disgusting, but we Jews love it. And then also, you know, chopped liver. That could also be the same. Chopped liver, you're like, there we go, oh. see? Chopped liver is disgusting, but yeah. I absolutely love it. And I think it's what you're born with, what you're used to. Okay. And I think also some people just don't have taste buds. Okay. Well, I, I really appreciate that because I also realize that I am um, passing this crazy on to the next generation when my daughter smelled it and said this smells yeah, like no. butt. No, they, no, but, and, and it does. And that's yeah. she uh, a lovely, to fish. Our lovely producer is um, playing that song you were talking yeah. about with has a Vegemite. <laughs> and who's the, who's the, who is it? Men at Work. Men at Work. Men at work. This brings me go. back to junior That's high. That's so cliche, like, to even think about Men school. at Work. Yeah. Like, with there's an Australian. I mean, it's like, you might you as do. well have gone Crocodile Dundee on his butt. Could you imagine? What? Oh, my God, it's awful. Do you know what, Paula? This is just for you. It's okay. just for you. You know what? You know what's going to be awesome? Oh, we're showing her the video. Oh, my God, look at that video. Go back and look at that video. Here's what, Paula, you need to do. When you go visit them in Australia, I want you to bring a can of Oh, listen, here it is. Hold on one second. He just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. And he said, I love it. <laughs> Sorry, Holly. No, I just said, when you go visit them, I want you to bring a jar of gefilte fish and sit down at the table <laughs> and open it up. Gefilte fish. Oh, my God. That's our next podcast. We're bringing gefilte fish over here. Oh, that is so There's disgusting. A, uh, yes, yes. All right. So, All right. Well, look, we're, we're going to end this frivolity it was a good, right uh, now. It was a good Thanksgiving week. Uh, we'll do another one soon, but it was a good Thanksgiving Prep. Yes, it is. Thank and uh, our so this podcast's coming out today, obviously, uh-huh. and um, and then we're gonna have an actual Thanksgiving themed podcast, podcast oh, uh, for Thanksgiving too, guys. I it's been so wonderful you to have what? you here, Paula. Wait, will you come back next week? Because we just haven't seen you in so long. Can you stay? I would love yeah. to, as long as there's no. Can yeah, yeah no, we, won't, will not, we won't. We okay. won't do that. Thank you. But um, yeah, can you stand to. us another? time to come back i really need a few days to recover from this one and then i would love to come back now i love you guys Deal. paula thank you so much thank you thanks for tuning in to victoria stillwell's positively podcast for more information visit positively.com get connected on facebook and youtube as victoria stillwell or follow her on twitter at victoria s Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.